I'd like to thank Pastor Bach for the opportunity to uh, share a little bit this morning, and, and uh, I'm uh, going to be doing a lot through some pictures. I've read that, or we've all heard the picture's worth a thousand words, and I, I calculated this out, that you, the average speaker speaks at two and a half words per second, so that means I can give almost 13 hours of uh, preaching into the next 45 minutes. So uh, hang on to your seats, and we'll see where we go with that. A quick disclaimer here, uh, we're going to be basically sharing how we've tried to, in our lives, incorporate Christ in everything we do, and I'd like to, to actually be the other way around, incorporate my work and the things we do into my Christian faith, and so that's what we'll be talking about today. Uh, we certainly don't have it figured out. Uh, I'm a practicing Christian. Someday I hope to get it right, but like you, I'm on a journey and are continuing to grow through the process. Julie's going to come and share some scripture with us. And if you are able to, could stand for the reading of the scripture. Uh, that'd be great. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Thank you. You that may be seated. Exodus 3, 1 through 10. You may be seated. So we've all heard the story of, of Moses and the, uh, the burning bush, I'm sure. And uh, if I put myself in his place, I'm afraid I might have put the bush out right off the bat and missed the message. So maybe it's good that I was not there. But Moses very clearly received his orders from God. Uh, on where, what he was supposed to do, go lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And uh, did he just jump right on the bandwagon and say, you bet, Lord, let's go? No, he argued like we tend to do sometimes. In fact, five times he brought up excuses. He first said, well, what if they don't believe me? Back up here. Actually, the first one was, uh, who am I? Why would you send me? I'm, I'm a nobody. Why should I go? And then he says, well, what if the Israelites say, who sent you? And to that, God said, tell them I am sent me, sent you. And I'm sure he thought, well, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> yeah. But what if they don't believe me that you even talk to me? 
So God gave him some miracles to show to prove that. But Lord, pardon your servant. I've never been eloquent in my speech or my how I can speak in front of groups, and you know I'm really not the person you want to send. So God said, I'll give you the words. And then final, finally, Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send somebody else. I really don't want to do this. And this, it's, the Bible says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Now, I don't think most of us want to be in that position. But God still went ahead and decided to send Aaron along with Moses to carry that message. Have you ever felt like Moses? You know, he had a, I can kind of relate to him. He had a direction to his life. And, uh, you know, he'd been raised, of course, by the Pharaoh's daughter in the palace. Great upbringing with great education and, and uh, training in the, the law and in religion and all. And then he, he still wanted to associate with the Israelites uh, because that was his, his people. So he eventually married. And then at this time of this, uh, the burning bush, he was caring for his father-in-law's sheep on Mount Midian. And so he had his direction. He was in agriculture like I was supposed to be. And things going good. And then God intervened and, and changed things for him. And Moses, we've talked the last couple of weeks about going out into the margins. Uh, that maybe you're being called to go to the margins of society. And going where other people don't normally go. And that certainly is what was happening to Moses here. So again, I can kind of relate to Moses. So... To get to where we are now, I kind of need to give you a little history, and most of you know me, but uh, some of you don't. And uh, so going back to, I was raised on a farm near here at Oakville. My parents had a vegetable farm out there, and we did all the farm kid stuff. We were in 4-H, uh, involved in FFA, different things. And we raised a lot of vegetable crops. Pumpkins was one of our key crops, which we delivered all over the... Uh, between Portland and, and uh, Canada, along to different places. And I loved the life of farming. I really enjoyed it. That was what I was going to do. Uh, I had no doubt in my mind. I drove a tractor by myself the first time at seven years old. Short distance, and Dad stepped on the draw barn road, but I remember that. And, uh, that again, that's what I was going to do. There was no question. About at the age of 11 years old, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior right over in what is now the, the uh, Goodwin Prayer Chapel here on the left side, about the center of the altar where it used to be. And uh, remember that very vividly. And shortly after that, I started feeling a calling, not really necessarily that I needed to, but that possibly I was being called to be a missionary or a pastor. But man, I wanted to farm and couldn't really reconcile that at that time. Then one day it hit me, I can be a Christian farmer and serve God through my work there. And certainly I had a good example for my parents for that. So that seemed to satisfy that desire with that on my mind. So we continued to move along. Again, I was involved with FFA, served a, a state officer, and had a chance to travel around, speak to a lot of uh, future farmers. I did all my FFA projects and got my American farmer degree in Kansas City. You know, I get really sad when I see these slides of when I had all these dreams. Look at the hair I had there that I, <laughs> I don't have anymore, you know. Oh, well, things, things move on, I guess. So we went on into to college, the A Cougars, and went over to Pullman to get our degrees, and Julie was over there, and then after two years of college, we got married. In the summertime, we worked on a wheat ranch over there, and I was really in, 
in heaven over there. The big, big farms, big equipment. And uh, I drove combine on the farm, and Julie drove a, a truck and helped the wheat harvest there for a couple of different summers. Just a quick side note, this is a combine tire, and you'll notice the chains on there. Those are so you don't slide down the Pullman Hills. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. We got some really interesting times learning about the Pullman Hills. And then the highlight of my time working there, an opportunity to run a Steiger tractor, disking after the pea harvest. And I always describe that like sitting in your living room all day long. It was awesome. So we were on our way toward uh, you know, getting more experience and heading toward the farming. I got a job uh, lined up at Royal City, Washington, but they really didn't need anybody until fall, which is unusual for a, a crop farm there, but that's how it was working out. So we talked about taking a long trip, and that was our introduction to our RVing. First time we RVed, we bought this camper, fixed it up, put it on our pickup, and we took off for two and a half months right after we graduated. So this is where we traveled. If you can see that, that is the most direct route in 20,000 miles to see every state and most of the major uh, sites in the United States. So if you need a copy of that to follow, I'll be happy to give you a copy of that. <laughs> but we had a blast. We really, of course, flew through the country to do that in the two and a half months, but it was a wonderful trip and a wonderful experience. And it whet our appetite on RVing. When that finished, we went to Royal City, and I started working on the farm there where I had gotten a job. We got involved as youth leaders in the church, uh, and I joined the local fire department as a volunteer, and we started working toward, again, toward achieving our, our dream of uh, becoming farmers. And we bought uh, 10 acres of land, uh, mowed down the sagebrush, leveled it off, planted alfalfa on that, ordered a bulldozer, leveled off a spot, because the whole thing was a hillside, and put our mo uh, bought a mobile home and put on that, and again, we were on our way. Well, throughout this time, the jobs had changed a couple of times each fall. It seems like I'd lose my job as the work normally slowed down. I changed over to working for an uh, agricultural chemical and fertilizer company, a salesman agronomist for them for a couple of years, and uh, again, trying to get into farming. Well, the place we bought, the agreement was we would share the well with the, the previous owner. He kept 10 acres. We bought the other 10 from him. And after a while, we had to drill our own well. And this is where things started really taking a change. Uh, wells are not easy to obtain over there. And we drilled 400 feet, put $12,000 in a dry hole. And uh, 12000 we didn't have. <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of putting a, a crimp on what our plans were. And again, jobs are having a, not working out real well. And we finally decided, you know, uh, and I, as I worked my job, I went out and talked to farmers. It's one farmer in particular, a man about my age, him and his wife. And I looked at their living conditions, and they'd been farming for 10 years and just weren't getting ahead. And he was working along with his father. And I thought, you know, it's just not going to work for us to do that. So that time, I had to give up my dream of farming. And we came back. I took a job at Rochester with another company and worked over here. And be before we came back, uh, two things. Uh, at one point, we were so broke there that we had a $60 bill we couldn't pay and uh, didn't know where the money was going to come from. So we were praying over it there one day and just praying that we'd have, be able to cover it. And about two days later in the mail, we got a check for $60 from uh, WSU. <laughs> and I had worked for the college some, and uh, they had miscalculated my Social Security deduction, 
and refunded the $60. So we had money to pay our bill. And that was the first, not the first time, but that's when I really realized, you know, God's watching over us, and he'll make things work out, whatever it is. So we were debating whether to come back or not, but we really felt called to, to Royal City. And, uh, you know, we were kind of torn on that, so we were praying about that. And I took the Bible, opened it up, and uh, this is the verse that popped up, John 4, 21. Woman, it must have been talking to Julie, I guess, but woman, <laughs> Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And we realized then that it didn't matter where we served God as long as we did. So we packed up, came back to Rochester, and moved over here. Several years later, we bought a place at Royal, uh, here in Chehalis, where we live now, and it wasn't that many years ago it dawned on us that our address there is 421. Just as the verse is. So, I think we're where we're supposed to be. So we came back to, uh, moved over to Rochester, got involved with the fire department there. A gentleman there, uh, some of you may know Tony Pancook, he was a volunteer here and paid in District 12 near Centralia. And I uh, was talking to him, and I told him, you know, I really didn't want to do the agricultural uh, agronomist work the rest of my life, and so he was suggesting the firefighting. Long story short, a few months later, I was hired by Shayla's Fire. And that changed the total direction of my career, and, uh, but it was exciting. And I, I really loved the, the firefighting. It gave me an opportunity to serve God through the work, and every day was different. You never knew five minutes from now if you'd be fighting a fire or extricating somebody from a car, going on a medical call, or whatever it might be. A lot of excitement all the time. Sometimes things were really interesting and, and almost crazy, and these are the stories you remember. That we had a uh, fire mill at night one night and responded to this, to this house, and I recognized the address, and Stephen lived there, and Stephen, say he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, maybe, well known by law enforcement and us, and we responded down there at 2 o'clock in the morning. I could see the glow in the sky, well-involved house, flames way above the second story. As we pulled up, I remember thinking, how did the fire get so far along so quickly? Usually they get called in as soon as they start breaking windows or something. So we pulled up, used our master streams, knocked down the fire and put it out. And then I was talking to Stephen, and I said, well, what, what happened? He said, oh, man, he says, I, was, I ran out of firewood. So I took my Christmas tree, and I was feeding it into the wood stove. Keep in mind, this is the end of June, we had the fire. So this tree has been laying around for six months. And he said, the fire started coming out at me. So I started fighting the fire and fought the fire. Then I went on the sat front deck and sat down and had a beer. When I finished that, I came back in to fight the fire some more. And by then, it was huge. <laughs> so, okay, well, now I knew why the fire got so big. There were certainly other times when they were, were not so humorous, but tragic events we saw, being around death and destruction, seeing people's lives being ripped apart in moments from a car accident or a house fire. But there's a lot of good things there, too, that came along that made up for it. The man that came in, we defibrillated him 16 times during a call, and he came in later and talked to us. Or the other young man that came in, and I didn't recognize him at all, but he reminded me of a call we'd had where, where it had been him, and now he was cleaned up, but he was on drugs at the time, long, straggly hair. He was fighting us and spitting at us, and it was quite a wrestling match with us and the law enforcement to contain him. I don't remember if... Uh, Neil was on that one or not. I kind of halfway think he was, but that's one of many, I'm sure, so you don't remember. But in any case, throughout that process, the, the uh, medical treatment he got 
and his time in incarceration, uh, he was able to turn his life around and uh, clean that up. So that was exciting. And it also gave me the opportunity to, uh, to get involved with Lewis County Chaplain's services. And uh, as my crew, as I finished up, retired in March. And uh, so the crew that I finished up with there. When I was back at Rochester at a call there, uh, we had a cardiac arrest. I had just become a new EMT. And as we responded to, the, to a call there, my job was just to bring the gurney in the living room. The other EMTs that were more experienced, they were working the cardiac arrest in a bedroom just off the living room there. And I stood with the family for 45 minutes, not knowing what to say to them to make the situation any better. They talked amongst themselves, and after 45 minutes, they, they ceased the work on trying to revive the person. I took the gurney back out. I remember thinking, no, there's got to be a better way than that. There's got to be something we can do to help the families. But at that time, I didn't know what it was. It wasn't too long later, I was reading an emergency medical services magazine, and it talked about a fire department chaplain's program. So Pastor George Morey, who used to be here, him and I went up to uh, Edmonds, talked to the uh, gentleman up there in charge, Ken, and he told us about what a chaplaincy program was, came down and helped us start one down here. About the same time, Carrie uh, Brenner, who was a pastor of the Lutheran Church, had started a chaplaincy within law enforcement. A couple years later, we merged those together and formed Lewis County Chaplaincy Services. We, at one point, we had one chaplain, Bob Cummings, for two or three years for kind of a dry spell, and he was the, the chaplain for the whole county, which didn't work real well, but he tried. And then uh, since that time, we've grown. We now have 20 chaplains responding on emergency calls. The jail has also asked us to oversee their volunteer ministry with about 50 volunteers there. We've reached a point now where we have to have a, we really need a full-time person overseeing that as director. And Brian, would you, would you come up? Brian Carter has stepped into that role and uh, uh, has been doing the job for about nine months or so now, almost a year, uh, without pay. <laughs> and we're working on the fundraising project for that, and Brian's going to tell us a little bit about an event coming up in January. This is where we pause for a commercial break, is that yes, what you're saying? Yes, it is. Okay. I, I have to admit that whenever I tell people that we're raising funds for a full-time director, and I, and I have to pause and say, well, and, and that, that's me, it, it's a little awkward, I, I have to admit that. But uh, I, I also want to pause a minute and uh, mention that this congregation supports this ministry on a monthly basis, and I want to say thank you for that. So I, I appreciate it very, very much. So having said all that, uh, we're not just raising money for a full-time director. We need to raise money to upgrade our communications equipment, to send our chaplains to our training academy, and to purchase apparel, uh, distinctive apparel that we were out, wear out into the... The, the field and such. So, anyway, how much time do I have? Um, about that much. <laughs> okay, January 19th, uh, we are having our first ever winter auction. January 19th at 6 p.m., it's going to be held at the Centralia Christian School. We have a number of items that have been donated already, one of them being a Traeger smoker. It's, those are really cool if you're into that kind of thing. And uh, we've had a few other handmade items that have come in, and we're hoping to get some others as well. So, if you go on to our Facebook page, there is an event page there and a place where you can go and purchase tickets. $10 gets you in the door. It gets you 
a bid number and dessert and entertainment for the night. So uh, check it out and plan on coming. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. And if you go to our uh, webpage here, there are opportunities there where you can uh, make donations. And we're really looking for people who uh, maybe feel called to partner along with us. It may become ongoing uh, funders for that and, and support us in that. So if that's something that you may feel called to or interested in, you can go there and check, it, check that out more or talk to Brian or myself about it. Uh, involved in the program, it's overseen by board of directors. Uh, Pastor Bach is on that. Uh, and we've had numerous people within the church uh, including Neil and uh, others who have served uh, as chaplains for us. So we really appreciate their interest. So this is one way that I, uh, I feel I could minister through my work, and it's been a very rewarding and, and exciting thing to see. Chaplains respond around the county to all kinds of crisis events, uh, death of various kinds, tragic injuries, uh, homicides, suicides, all kinds of different things, and the house fires. And they're not there just for the citizens, but also to support the emergency responders. And uh, we, some of us are involved with the debriefings for them, for the responders after bad incidents, and always available on a one-on-one basis to uh, sit down and talk with them too. So it's an important part of their work. Well, apparently I don't have enough fire in my life, so back in 2002, uh, Julie and I started a business of uh, private wildland firefighting, and when you get to the look at here, the big about the big fires on the news and all, uh, about half of the resources on those fires are private contractors, and I happen to be president of our Washington Association for the contractors, and uh, we have 50 or excuse me, close to 70 companies now under that. Washington, Oregon is one of the biggest areas for the private fire service in the wildland firefighting. So this is our first truck we bought. We eventually expanded to change trucks. Rolled ones, had to replace it. Uh, anyway, this is what we have now in our company. So uh, we run that. But, but early on, we dedicated this to God, that our, we're going to run the business with uh, Christian principles. And uh, sometimes that's kind of hard to do. But we tried hard and, uh, in our employee manual and on our web page. Uh, you can't read that, but it says our values. First thing it starts off with, we will honor God in everything we do, in our relationships with our employees, the government, and all our customers that we serve. And uh, so every employee, they get the lecture right up front that uh, we're a Christian company. You know, you don't necessarily have to believe like we do, but we do expect high, high uh, morals in our company. I have sometimes hope, wish that would filter out a few more people than it does. <laughs> but for the most part, it's a, it's a great thing, and, and people try to respect that for the most part. So that's great to see. Real quickly on the, on the private uh, fire sector there, the, again, these big fires, they grow, they get too big for the local, the agency resources to handle. They call in contractors. They get out there and set up these whole uh, cities out in the middle of a field somewhere. And if you haven't seen them, they bring in, they have a tenting area. They bring in showers, caterers. Uh, is everything you need to support maybe 1,000, 1,500 people or more on these wildfires. So it's really kind of interesting if you haven't, at least to me it is. You know, at least they feed us and take care of us when we get there. One of the things we ran into uh, on these trucks is that they're required to be inspected and weighed, and they do that different ways. Every couple of years they change the system on that, but they can't run if they're over the gross vehicle weight of the vehicle. And this particular year we were weighing our own trucks and you have to submit the, the tickets for that. 
Well, in the past, they had calculated the gallonage of water by just measuring the tank on the outside, calculate how many gallons that had, and you have to have so many gallons to meet the requirements. Well, when they, they changed the system that year, instead of measuring it, they would fill it full of water, weigh it, you pump off everything you can, then they calculate how much water when they weigh it again. Well, for our trucks, we were running so close to the maximum weight that if we, were, if we did that, now we were overweight to get enough water in the tanks. Because before, we, when they measured it, including all the, the baffles and everything in the tank, it really showed a little bit more water probably than you had there. So anyway, we ran into a dilemma here. Now, I very easily could have fudged the tickets or unloaded more equipment off the trucks and reweighed them, but because we dedicated this to God, we weren't going to do that. And we were looking for new trucks to replace those or used trucks or something and couldn't find anything. And one night, I was up in the middle of the night worrying about it and uh, praying about it. And I prayed, God, I need another option. We, we can't buy new trucks. We can't find used ones. We can't change these anymore than what we have. And I don't know what to do. The next day, I got a phone call from one of our contractors. And he said, well, what do you know about changing out springs on a truck? I said, well, we've been told for years we can't do that. You've got to go by the initial weight. No, no. He said, I just talked to a company down in Bend, and they just did some Forest Service engines. I said, let me call you back. So I called the Forest Service, and they said, yeah, they're an in-stage manufacturer. They, uh, they do have the ability to change the GBW of the truck by changing the springs and recertify it. And so we ran the trucks down there, had them updated, and they were good to go for a few more years. So God has really watched over us, I think, because we are honoring him and trying to do things right. He's been there for us and covered things like that. And that's awesome to see. I got my 30 years in at Shehalis Fire and retired back in March. And one of the things the last couple of years Julie and I have been kind of called toward is a mobile missionary in, RV work, uh, in our RV to travel around and, and do missionary work of some kind. Not quite sure what that was going to be for a while. Got online and started looking at different groups. And then uh, came across the... Uh, Rome Ministries and Musicians. There we go. Okay, backing up just a little bit here, a couple of slides. On the fires, as contractors, we do all kinds of different things. We were a pumping station there. Structure protection, we found a structure to protect. My crew had to send me a picture of the, that they saved this building when they were out there. So I was glad to hear they were working hard. We do support or protect real structures too, but. And here's Julia working on night shift on the initial attack. Now, you may know Julia as a calm, nice person, but you don't ever want to get on her bad side when she's got a napalm torch in her hand because <laughs> she can cook you in a minute with that. And then again, we do initial attack. We respond across the United States. We've back to Colorado, South Dakota, just wherever the fires are where they need you at the time. And again, it's been a great chance to witness the people through both our employees, uh, through the, uh, what we do, as well as... Uh, to the government folks that we work with and, and other contractors too. So we, as we retire, we, to, in our, for our mobile missionary work, we begin Firelight Ministries, we're calling it. We've got to keep fire in there somewhere, so Firelight Ministries. And uh, again, to go out somehow and help in a mobile missionary work. So we came across the Nazarene uh, Rome, RVs on a mission and realize this is what we wanted to do. So Chris, if you'd play the video on that. Entering the retirement age? Got an RV? Want to travel and realize significance? Want to enjoy meeting new friends? Maintain your skills? Contribute to God's work? Rome wants you. 
Rome needs you. RVs on a Mission is an outreach ministry of the Church of the Nazarene through the Center for Lay Ministry. Rome provides the opportunity for persons to volunteer their time and skills in meaningful Christian service through Church of the Nazarene projects in camps, churches, and schools. Since the first project at the Rocky Creek District Church Camp in Alexandria, Louisiana, in February of 2004, Rome has been busy throughout the United States, from Alaska to Florida, New Hampshire to Oregon. During the cold winter months, Romers gather in California, Arizona, Texas, and Florida, where the weather is pleasant. There, they work on church building and remodeling projects at district camps, retreat centers, parsonages, and Christian schools. During the summertime, volunteers head up north in Washington, Idaho, Alaska, and New England, where they can help with projects in the cooler climate. Spring and fall will find Rome volunteers in Colorado, New Mexico, the Midwest, and southeastern states. Churches in the Native American nation have enjoyed the donated labor provided by Rome on several projects in Arizona. One of the aspects of our particular project is, is that being in the community that we are with the economic uh, troubles that exist, uh, really there would be no way uh, for us to get the project completed if it had not been for uh, the help of the, the Rome ministry. Uh, when you have people that are willing to come a thousand miles and volunteer uh, for three weeks, six weeks uh, at a time uh, to help us get a project done, again, we are grateful as well as really glad to be able to live in a fantastic house that has a testimony to the whole community. They know the church. You don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to figure out when you drive by Cornerstone that it's not the most uh, desirable looking place. And yet, these folks come into this neighborhood, stay here, and become an integral part of ministry. And then we, the end result is, is evident for everyone to see. Uh, we, uh, and, and we're already seeing community lift. You know, you can have a nice looking house with a nice yard here on the east side of San Bernardino. The Rome Weekly Work Schedule is designed to give the volunteers a good mix of work, fellowship, and sightseeing. The project is usually scheduled for the first three weeks of the month, and the work week is from Monday through Thursday, six hours a day for the men, and three hours for the ladies. It's amazing to see how God puts together a team of volunteers with just the right skills necessary to accomplish His work. Every electrician needs someone to help with the wiring, or every painter needs someone to steady the ladder. Rome wants men and women with servant hearts and willing attitudes. God provides the rest. Last year, 130 Rome volunteers participated in 26 projects, totaling over 9,000 hours of donated labor, saving churches and camps many thousands of dollars in construction and remodeling costs. Well, nine years ago when we relocated Trinity Pines to its new location of 198 acres outside of Cascade, Idaho, it became very evident to us that we needed a large crew of volunteers. And through some exploration and some connections with some Nazarene folks, we learned about Rome Ministries. And what a blessing they've been as they have made several visits to our facility. Uh, the skill level, their dedication, their compassion for Christian camping, their compassion for ministry in general. But we've been a direct benefactor of, of uh, facilities that we can see, their health, 
has just been tremendous and, and what a boost to the morale of our staff and other volunteers who've come to work alongside the Rome Ministry folks. On the Rome logo, you will notice the scripture reference, 1 Peter 4.10. It reads, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. The past several years has seen the Nazarene people step to the front in a wide variety of compassionate ministry efforts to bring help and hope to the needy at home and around the world. The Nazarene Church is teaching the Christian community about compassionate ministries and leading by example. Rome is another opportunity to accomplish this mission, to include church members and friends who have an RV to participate in work projects. I uh, am getting a little bit older, but I feel better when I work than when I just lay around. And so I found that uh, I always feel younger when I'm out working like that. One of the big things I think is that uh, most people when they retire kind of feel like their useful life is, is more or less over, uh, but it's not and shouldn't be. I mean, we spent most of our time in church camps and uh, a large percentage of the of the young people in our church have found the Lord at a church camp. And uh, so it just makes me feel good to, to do something and not because I need to or because I need to earn some money, uh, just to do it. Maybe you're about to retire or have vacation time and are interested in using that time and your talents serving others and the Lord. Rome wants and needs your help. Here's your opportunity to apply the Apostle Peter's admonition of service. We feel we can make a difference at any age. Join us and make a difference in God's kingdom and our world. And just a little update on their numbers there. They mentioned 9,000 hours. Uh, this video needs to be updated uh, last year, or so far in 17, it's been almost 20,000 hours of uh, labor donated for the Rome Ministries. We do have some uh, pamphlets on the back table there. If you're interested in uh, any information about that, feel free to grab one of those or, or talk to Julie and I. We'd be happy to, to share with you about that. Okay, Julia, if you'd like to come up, and Julia's got a few uh, thoughts to share here with us. Howdy, y'all. Julia says hello to everybody. How are all y'all doing today? She's wondering how everyone's doing today, if you're doing well. Yes. We're fixing to share with you about our time in Texas. We're going to tell you a little bit about our trip to Texas. Actually, Julie, you know, since we're back in Washington, if you speak in Washingtonian instead of Texan, I won't have to interpret. It'll probably go better. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. And we got a real uh, kick out of the uh, people down there and the accent, and we, uh, we really enjoy that. Our, the contractor we worked with down there, he talked to us about two minutes. He looks at us and says, y'all don't say y'all up there in Washington, do ya? <laughs> No, not too often, but I think it was the second day I heard Julie say y'all when she was talking to somebody, so it's pretty quick to, to adapt uh, to that. So I'll go ahead and show you a few pictures here. Uh, this is our, our director, Dwayne and Jean Mulford, and they are full-time RVers, and they just go from Rome Project to Rome Project year-round, and they've been doing that for six or seven years. I forget exactly, but quite a few years that they've been doing that. 
Dean's a wonderfully organized person and, and kept his line out each day. We meet every morning, uh, and here we're waiting for the meeting to start, have devotions, and then Jean would uh, organize uh, everybody to send us out that day based on whatever college she'd received over the night or what, what needed to be done. Some of the houses, you'd work on some, and they needed to dry out some more before you could do anything to, as many of you from Lewis County know from our previous floods here. And uh, so they, they kind of juggled us around depending on your skills and the needs that they had at that particular time. They gave us a quick tour when we got there of the grounds. This is on a old golf, uh, golf club grounds, and we turned in the driveway, and I took one look, and I said, wow, where are we? <laughs> this place is gorgeous. And this is a view out of our RV uh, window from the front of our RV. And they gave us a tour around the facility. Now, I thought we had a problem here with moles in our yard. They have a problem with herds of wild boars that come through. And overnight, they will rotivate a big section of their lawn. And this is the damage that happened one night. I think while we were there, they, they saw it. we saw in the little tour we were having. But it's a beautiful grounds, a memorial garden they had there. Uh, water, there's a pond there. You don't want to swim in it. There's water moccasins and alligators and things like that. We actually, in a video we took, we caught a water moccasin swimming across the water there. But, uh, so we didn't go swimming, but we had a beautiful uh, setting there to do our work in. As we headed out to our first project, there we go. All along the roads was, was debris, and it very much reminded me of Lewis County when we had our floods here. The difference there is here we have valleys that flooded. There it's so flat that it was just floods everywhere. You know, some places were slightly higher, but you can hardly see that. 35,000 homes flooded in Brazoria County where we were working. So virtually every home had a pile of sheetrock and appliances in front of it. And the poor solid waste guys were picking stuff up like crazy trying to get all that cleaned up. Uh, this is Shannon. Uh, her parents' home was the first place where we worked. And uh, this is a home there that was flooded. It's a 3,900-square-foot home. Her dad liked to build and just kept adding on and adding on. There are no building inspections in the county here. And some really interesting construction we were dealing with as we tried to re sheetrock with no studs at 10 inches out on the sheetrock to fasten to and things. But, but we got it back on. And... Uh, but this, this family, the, the mother right now, is in the hospital undergoing cancer treatments in and out. The father is sick with uh, cancer, uh, or COPD, excuse me, for the, on the father and other medical issues. Uh, Shannon and her husband took time off work so they could help out. So they were not having any finances there for almost two months. So they were hurting there, and they got flooded also to some extent. And so they were, and this poor gal, she was just buried in things. But they were extremely grateful we were there helping out. She had already hired a contractor, Jim, here in the center. He had been a drywall contractor, and now they did landscaping. But when all the uh, work came up uh, to do, they jumped back in and started uh, doing some contracting work. This is his wife, Roxanne, and his, their son-in-law, James. In the process of doing this, we decided to, since we're going to be serious about our traveling now, upgrade to a fifth wheel. And we found a fifth wheel to buy in Colorado, Salida, California, or Colorado. And uh, we'd picked this out a couple years ago. We just had to, you know, the, the kind we wanted. Just had to wait until I got old enough we could afford it. So, and now we, we found one like we wanted, so we went there to pick it up. Not too long before we officially bought it, but after we had picked out the model we wanted, it dawned on us my pickup wasn't big enough to tow it. And so we had to upgrade to another truck, then go buy the fifth wheel. 
And then as we headed down to uh, Texas, we realized the gray water tank had a crack in it and various little things like you do when you buy something used. And uh, so, you know, the thought crossed my mind, you know, are we really supposed to be doing this? Uh, things aren't going real well at times, but we know we knew we'd get through it. But we were there working, and uh, Jim came into the room one day, like the second day I think it was we were there, and he said, God told me to tell you, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> you're doing what you're supposed to do. And that just floored us, you know, in a real affirmation for what we were supposed to be doing uh, in our ministry work. So we worked with them for uh, a couple weeks for the most part. Sometimes we'd be at other houses, really went one day to another place to paint, uh, again, just wherever we were needed. But uh, And then we worked there, various homes. The last day we were going out to uh, Dorian and Sam's house here. And this was a house that uh, had not been touched in the walls or anything for two months. It had been flooded uh, fairly deep. And they were just overwhelmed. The culture down there, for those that work at the plant, and there's dozens of chemical manufacturing plants down there, but they worked long hours. And given this financial situation everybody was in because of the flood, they were grabbing all the overtime they could to make ends meet. So they had virtually no time, or Dorian did not, to do any work on the house. Sam has been injured in the healthcare field, a uh, back injury, not able to do a lot. They had moved their belongings out, cleaned the garbage out after the flood, but hadn't touched the walls. So we had, uh, again, two months later, we're going in and dreading what we're going to find inside the walls because we know it's going to be mold everywhere. They had respirators lined up, not just the masks, but actual respirators, knowing we're going to get into some real ugly mold and stuff. And uh, we went in there and started, I started punching some holes in the wall, and it was not nearly as bad as we thought. Uh, this is Sam, and she's going to talk real quickly a little bit about uh, their experience with the flood. Well, when the flood came in, they told us to evacuate. So me and my husband, we left and got in our vehicle and went towards Houston. All of a sudden, we got stuck, so we ended up in Houston trying to find somewhere to stay because there wasn't anywhere to stay and all of a sudden we saw our house on television flooded water all in the windows so we was devastating mm. trying to get back down here to see but there wasn't any hotels there wasn't anybody to help you or no nobody around to help you we called everybody anybody but didn't nobody come through and all of a sudden I saw Miss Jennifer and she say, Sam, how you doing? I said, I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. I said, but we're trying to get some help. I said, we want to holler victim. We lost everything we have. And we got homeowner insurance and we got windstorm, but we didn't have flood, but we're not in the flood area. So we devastating and all, oh my God, Jesus. So thank God for Miss Martha Jean and her crew come down and help us, and that's a blessing. Now I can see myself. I'm still a little shaken and devastated because I lost a lot of valuable things, but me and my husband have our life, and we yes. thank God that the crew come along and gonna help us rebuild our home. Thank God for the, his God-sent angels. You can't tell, but she's a very animated person. And she, she, she tapered her way down for the video. I wish I could have caught the rest of it on there. But she's a wonderful lady. 
Uh, when we pulled in with a couple of vehicles and people started getting out, she came around and hugged every one of us uh, before she even met us. Extremely grateful for the help. So with a little crew there, we went there just to kind of check things out and, and see what it looked like. I started knocking some holes in the sheetrock and the, the uh, insulation was dry. We had a moisture meter. All the, almost all the wood is ready to cover back up. It's down to 11% and it'd be a little 15% to close up the walls, which is just a miracle. Uh, they did decide to go ahead and cut it off the lower part of the sheetrock, so we started working on that and opened things up there. But by the end of the day, we pretty much had everything pulled out that needed to be pulled out so that they could uh, do a little bit more drying and then uh, start closing things back up for them. And with the, the help that showed up when Dorian got off work, he dove right in and, and was ripping out carpets and working like a, a wild horse there. And uh, Sam made the comment that, you know, this is just what he needed to have a boost and some help because they were just overwhelmed with how to begin. And finances were hard too, so we were able to give them some sheetrock and stuff. A tr uh, church out of Indiana had donated a couple of semi-loads of sheetrock that we were dispersing out to different people and using on some of our projects. When we were waiting in between some of the work on the houses, uh, they have, normally the, the roamers do work on the church campus, but because of the flood, the whole focus was on other places. But when that, we had a, a lull in that, waiting for things to dry or for materials, we would come back to the church and work on things there. And Julie and I cleaned, I think it was like 13,000 lights out one day. <laughs> it seemed like it. But anyway, they have a lot of bugs in that country, and they were called in. We took everything from salamanders and cockroaches and frogs out of the lights. How they get there, I don't know, but, but we did. So that was one of our projects that we did. And this was a crew that was there the day that we were, the last day we were there, other roamers. Others had come and gone, but this is a crew that we had there. Wonderful people, all called with a heart to serve, and uh, it was just great, great to work with them. Uh, Julie, did you have, any, have some thoughts to share? Yes, I just wanted to tell about that most of the project was pretty much what I expected, um, but there was one thing that was kind of surprising and, and a little unexpected, and I hadn't anticipated, and that was that um, you show up there and you are totally empty of you, and you're only there to serve God and to serve God's people. And so you don't have any to-do list that you have to accomplish for the day. Um, you don't have to worry about any of that. You've, you just come with a servant's heart and a willing attitude and some flexibility. And there is such a freedom and a deep soul peace when you know that you are right where God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do. And so I really experienced that. Thank you. So at the fire department, when we have a call there, it's pretty clear. The, the, the alarm goes off, there's lots of bells ringing and lots of noise, and, and you know you have a call to respond to. And uh, sometimes we think maybe it may not be so clear in a Christian walk when we're called. Um, how do we know there's a call? Well, I think the call has already been made, and we've all heard this, voice, this uh, verse numerous times in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and, make, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So the alarm has already sounded. We need to go out and serve, and, and as the, the verse in the Rome says, use your skills that you've been given to, uh, to serve. And uh, we need to respond to that. 
Now, how do we respond, and, and where do we go? That's, I guess maybe that's the bigger question. In, law, in uh, firefighting, in between firefighter and law enforcement, and I've got numerous law enforcement friends here, there's a friendly rivalry between them, and I'm not going to get into that. You know, I'm not going to tell the joke about what do firefighters and law enforcement have in common. They all want to be firefighters. You know, I'm not going to tell the story about the officer that stopped the lady, and he says, do you know why I'm here? She says, because you failed the firefighter exam. And I'm not going to tell about the picture that I saw recently on Facebook. It was a parking lot that a police and fire department shared, and a cardboard box propped up with a stick with a string on it like a trap, and a box of donuts inside. <laughs> so I'm not going to get into any of that. And, yeah, but what I am going to tell is about the numerous times we went to calls that were unsafe situations, and lost law enforcement went in ahead of us and prepared the way. They cleared the guns out, they secured the scene, so we could come in more safely, do what we were there to do. And you know, that's how God works in our lives. He'll prepare the way for you to go and make things ready. The, the role ministry was one of our paths that we took and it prepared things and things were lined up and organized when we got there to dive right in and serve people. So the challenge I give to you this morning is what is your fire that you go into when others are running out? And that's a common description of firefighters or the crazy people that run in when everyone else is running out. And, uh, but would that be for you? Would that be the, the homeless, the addicted, those in poverty, maybe lonely individuals, single mom and dads who are struggling? We have the opportunity to serve him every day in everything that we do. And that's, that's our call, to serve every day. There's numerous local groups you can become involved in. Uh, we've talked about different ones here in different uh, ways. If you're a business person, you've got the opportunity every day to deal, do your business with integrity and to share Christ's love with those around you. Uh, maybe not always appropriate in a verbal testimony about the gospel, but you can show that through your words and your actions. Anybody involved with seeing people, if you work at a store, big opportunity there. Stay-at-home parent, you're not able to get out maybe because of physical restrictions or or you're tied to the home with kids, but what about the uh, family across the street that could use a visit? Or maybe an email to somebody? Or a prayer ministry for those who are hurting? There's opportunities all over. Uh, maybe you're called to support some organization financially, and that's the way that you can help. Hebrews 12:16 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. I apologize for running a little bit late. I do have a short uh, slideshow I'd like to show. This is a song that we heard down at a uh, Southern Gospel station. And I uh, would like to play this and a few more slides for you to watch. We've tried to incorporate this into our lives and everything we've done. Whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
won't let the grass grow underneath my feet. I'm ready for the open road with heaven in my sight. God only knows what's up ahead, and that's all right. Though every mile's a mystery, I'll live each day by faith. I'm having the time of my life. It's a joy Days of memory fading in my rear view. Every new horizon, one more chance to chase the truth. I think I'm gonna slow down, take my hands off of the wheel, and trust the one who's in control. I love the way this feels. I'm ready for the open road with heaven in my sight. God only knows what's up ahead, and that's all right. I'll live each day by faith I'm having the time of my life It's a joy ride Every twist and every turn Mountain high or valley low There's an unseen hand that leads me And that song we felt did a pretty good job of describing uh, what, we, what our goal is and what we're trying to do now. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to share your love with others. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us that we can use. And we thank you. We pray that you'll open our eyes to the opportunities that are all around us to make use of those gifts. Help us to see those that many may consider to be the marginal ones through your eyes and see them as the hurting, the lonely, and most of all, your children. Help us to love those in these margins as you have loved us. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for the reminder that when we have the willingness uh, to go, um, that we can find a ministry opportunity uh, where our passions uh, cross or intersect with the need around us. And I think uh, I thank you for the wonderful example in your life of taking what God has blessed you with and looking for the intersection of where that meets need of other people. So that's always uh, a good reminder for all of us.
As we close out the service this morning, I'm going to have the ushers come forward. Uh, it's always appropriate um, to to gather around the Lord's table. I was at uh, I was out and about yesterday, and somebody greeted me and said, uh, "Happy Thanksgiving." And but very quickly they said, "Well, no, no, I, Thanksgiving's done." So I guess it's Merry Christmas now. And I know what they were trying to do, uh, trying to be politically correct like everybody else. And, uh, but it got me thinking that maybe we move past thankfulness too quickly in our lives. We, we, treat, it, we treat gratitude and thankfulness like uh, an emotion instead of a core attitude that we approach life with. And as we gather around the Lord's table, and we do this on a 